Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, church. How is everybody today? The spirit of the Lord is in this place right now. I don't know if you can feel it, but wow, that was powerful worship. Thank you, guys. Um, So I just want to welcome any first-time guests that we have um, here today, um, whether it's on the podcast or um, here in the building. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, My name is Christy Cohen. I am on the teaching team here at Church 214, and if you are new to us, Um, We do things a little bit different in our church. Um, We don't have one specific pastor. We have a teaching team, a group of people that um, pray and feel called to lead God's word, and um, we take turns delivering um, God's words on Sunday mornings. So um, we think that's pretty cool. We love it. (laughs) So we are in our third week of this series called Believe, and I have to tell you, This has probably been one of my favorite um, series that we've had so far. And if you missed the last two weeks or you missed one week, I would highly, highly recommend that you go back and listen on the podcast because there were two very, very powerful words um, delivered. So in this series, Believe, um, we've been camped out in the book of John. And the purpose of this book throughout, throughout its entirety is to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, and that all who believe in him shall have eternal life. Um, So Heather Tays started us off in this series with a super vulnerable message about the characteristics of John, a man who was chasing humbly after the heart of Jesus and not after the heart of himself. Um, She discussed that we should all be seeking to make Jesus famous and ourselves unfamous. Um, She also went into a little bit about how sometimes we only believe in half of Jesus instead of the fullness of Jesus. And last week, Isaac Schaefer um, preached an incredible word on how what you believe matters. How God can use your belief to display the glory of God and how your belief can also allow us to see God's glory in the miracles and in the mundane. Um, But ultimately, it's not about the miracles, it's about Jesus. So I've been studying three miracles in the book of John, and through that, I've had God lift up some amazing revelations to me as to why he performed each of these specific miracles and how some of those same reasons he brings glory to himself today through things that we see today in our present time. And so we're going to navigate through each of these miracles and why Jesus performed them. But I want our focus to remain on the why. Why did Jesus perform these miracles, these specific miracles? All right, so let us pray. Jesus, I believe that your presence is here. Lord, would you open up our hearts and just hover over our souls to hear whatever it is that you would need for us to hear today, Lord. May your name be lifted high in this place today. 
May every word that comes out of my mouth be only of you so that you would receive the glory in this house. Lord, we love you and we thank you for seeing each and every one of us right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I jump in, I do want to go ahead and let you guys know this is going to be a pretty emotional message for me. So just bear with me if I get teary-eyed. I promise I'll catch my breath and get back into it. Um, so we're going to start um, in our first miracle is actually going to be the first miracle that Jesus performs in the book of John. So if you will turn with me to John 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they, We have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So if you guys will keep that screen up for just a second. So it was so funny to me. Because when I read this story over and over and over again, I was completely convinced that this miracle was about the revealing of God's glory, the revealing of his glory. But as I read it again and again, this word thus stood out to me in like big flashing neon lights. So I looked up the definition of thus, and thus means as a result or consequence of this. Therefore. And when I read the whole story again, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think this miracle was performed to reveal his glory. It did reveal his glory, but I don't believe that that was the purpose. Because verse 4 says, dear woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. You see, I believe he was saying, it's not time for me to reveal my glory. But he did it anyways, and I believe it was because of his love for his dear friends and his family. I believe that he knew it would bring them great pleasure. And the result? Thus, he revealed his glory. And because of that love and his glory being revealed, the disciples put their faith in him. And because they put their faith in him, they started to believe. And I, I kind of chuckled a little bit because when I was like, oh, they started their faith walk. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was kind of funny, but I was like, oh, they started their faith walk. <laughs> but I love, if you will, 
that this first miracle in my eyes was performed out of love. And it makes me wonder how many miracles are being performed all around us because of God's deep, deep love for us. And how much of his glory is being revealed all around us and how many people are coming to believe as a result. And I don't know about you, but when I ask those questions, it makes me think about my perspective. Anybody else? Are we seeing his love? Are we seeing his glory that is being revealed all around? And are we believing boldly? Because the truth is, is that his love is pouring out and his glory is all around us. It is shining brighter than the sun. Like the light is shining radiantly on our faces. But the question is, can you see it? Do you believe it? So my husband and I acquired a gym about six months ago. And when this opportunity was placed in front of us, we knew it was from the Lord. Um, you see, I had always wanted to own my own gym. Mind you, it was not a cheerleading gym, which is what we now own. Um, a very small little recreational gymnastics facility that might be in a strip mall, something real small. But God had bigger plans. You see, God's love for me was so much bigger that he put a 20,000 square foot gym in front of us. Thanks for all the love, Jesus. <laughs> and honestly, guys, I was terrified. But I knew that God had placed this in front of us, and Andrew and I knew that we had to walk out in obedience. What I did not know was that I was going to be working around the clock in ministry and in resolving conflict not just with my athletes, but with my parents and with my coaches and with my staff. And I'm going to be really, really frank with you. It's hard work. And if I'm being honest, there are way too many days where my eyes are focused way too much more on me and what I'm going through that day than my eyes are focused on the glory of God that's all around me. Because God's glory is all around me. It is shining in so many places, so many dark places in our program. And I just want to tell you one of them, one of the miracles that has happened. One of our coaches who's here today, um, she experienced something that no one ever, ever wants to experience. And not shortly after, because of the people that were around her and pointing her to Jesus, she gave her life to Jesus. Yeah, that is a praise, guys. That is a huge praise. Not only did she give her life to Jesus, but she is chasing him fiercely and boldly. Like, when we have competitions on Sunday, she shows up, like, 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and she's like, oh my gosh, I just listened to the best sermon, and this is what it was about, and this is how it changed my perspective, and this is the attitude that I'm going to have today. And I'm like, what? Whoa. Like, his love for us is no joke. And I tell you this to encourage anyone who is like me. And on those days when it gets tough, instead of choosing to focus in on ourselves, let us focus in on the glory of God that is all around us. Let's sit back. Let's take a deep breath. Look around. Take our eyes off of ourselves. Change our perspective. Put our focus on him so that we can see his glory. And sometimes this doesn't just help grow our belief, but the belief of those around us too. So when I was praying and meditating in this, I was asking Jesus, why? Why, Jesus, did you turn wine into water? And I felt him gently just whisper to me, because I loved them. And I feel like somebody here today maybe needs to hear that. God sees you right where you are. He loves you right where you are. No matter what circumstance is in front of you, God is chasing after your good. He sees you and he loves you fiercely. Fiercely. So we're going to shift gears and go into our second miracle now. If you will turn with me to John chapter 11. So we're going to look at another miracle that Jesus performed and why he performed it. And some of you are familiar with this because Heather um, dived into it a couple of weeks ago. So for time's sake, I'm just going to briefly go over it just in case anybody has not um, heard this story before or wasn't here. Um, so Jesus has this dear friend, Lazarus. And Lazarus has fallen sick. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, have sent word to Jesus that um, his dear friend is sick. So Jesus, where he is, he stays for two more days, and then he tells his disciples, we've got to go back to Judea. And they're like, we can't go back there. Like, they stoned you, we can't go back. And he's like, kind of in this conversation with them, and finally he's just like, Lazarus is dead. And he says, and for your sake, we're going to go back so that you will believe. So they go, and then when they get there, both Mary and Martha sit down and have a conversation with Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, where were you? If only you would have been here, our brother would not be dead. And so Jesus asked them to take him to where Lazarus is. So there's a, a cave, and there's a stone over the, over the front of it. And Jesus says, remove the stone. So they remove the stone, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the cave alive. So we're going to look at a couple of different verses here. So if you would look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So we see here that the miracle is about Jesus being glorified through it. 
And then after that, we see that everyone was doubting him. Mary and Martha, they're doubting him. And so in verse 40, we're going to skip on to verse 40. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus tells us right here that the miracle is about the benefit of the people that are standing there, that they might believe. And immediately I was like, just because when I hear this story, I think, okay, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But I felt Jesus prompt me to like go back and reread everything again. And if you look at verse 14 and 15, where Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So now I know that Mary's there and Martha's there and the disciples are there. But then I felt the Lord prompt me to keep reading. In verse 19, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And I'm like, okay, great, Jesus, but that doesn't tell me that they were there, that they actually went to the tomb. And then I felt him say, just keep reading, keep reading. So I kept reading. And if you turn to verse 45, which in my Bible, the, the story ends and it picks up with a different story. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. And that statement hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, whoa, I have been putting this story in a tiny little box thinking it was only about the few when really it was about the many. And then Jesus drew me back to Mary and Martha their statement, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think this is a very significant part of the reasoning for this miracle. Is it possible that Jesus stayed two more days because the miracle wasn't just about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the few? Is it possible that Jesus stayed for two more days, not only for the sake of his disciples, which he tells us, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but also for the sake of the many Jews that would witness the miracle too? Because I believe that. I believe if he would have come right away, it would have only been about the few. But I don't think that's what he had in mind. And I wonder, how often do we go through circumstances in our life and we question the quickness of our Savior's arrival? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, if only you would have showed up sooner. 
Jesus, why did this have to happen? You see, just a, it's been a month now. Um, my family lost our dog of 11 years, and she was my dog first for several years. In fact, she literally saved my life. Um, I was going through a lot when I got her, and she literally saved my life. And we found out that she had to have um, surgery on her knee, and we decided as a family that we were going to proceed with the surgery because we wanted her to be able to have a longer life and be able to run and chase the ball and play with our daughter, McKinley. And um, so we were nine days post-surgery, um, and we woke up. We were getting stitches out the next day. Her progress was Im immaccable. I mean, it was it was it was brilliant. The doctors were like, we can't even believe how well she's doing right now um, because she also had a chronic liver disease. And so on the ninth day, we woke up that morning and um, I walked in and she was in a, a kennel and had a, a cone on, which she hadn't, that hadn't happened in a long time. And she just gave me this look and I just felt my heart just crush because I was like, I, I'm sorry. I felt like she was depressed because she had been in this kennel for nine days. So I took her out and I took the cone off and I rubbed her belly and told her how much I loved her and encouraged her. We've got one more day, girl. So then we went to feed her and she wouldn't eat. Well, my dog is, she's on a, a very high amount of steroids because of her liver disease. So for her not to eat is a very, very big deal. And she didn't eat, she would not eat. So I said, okay, I'm gonna take her for a short walk. So I took her outside and I, I got one lap around the car it had snowed that day. I got one lap around the car and she fell over lethargic. So I immediately called the doctor and the doctor was like, okay, go ahead and bring her in. So we got the girls together, we put them in the car and we got to the animal hospital and we backed in and we opened the trunk and she literally took her last breath right there when we opened the trunk. And I just, this whole time for the next, two days, I was like, God, why? Why couldn't you have given us five more minutes? Why did I have to drive, take the wrong exit? Why this? Why that? And I slowly over the next several weeks, over the next several days, felt him slowly give me some peace. You see, it had snowed the night before, and Andrew was shoveling the driveway. He would have already been gone to work. And I actually was not even supposed to be home. I was supposed to be working, but we couldn't find a babysitter for the kids. And so I just felt him say like, hey, I was in every single detail. I was there. And every single time he showed up and he gave me where he was in the details and he gave me a little bit more comfort and he gave me a little bit more peace, I still questioned, Jesus, why? How could you have let this happen? And then he showed up. It was Sunday morning, and we were worshiping, and the timing was perfect, and it was intimate, and he showed up. And he showed me that he saw me, and that he hurt for me, and that he ultimately understood my pain because he had suffered the most endurable pain anyone has ever, ever suffered. He showed up on his timing. 
So I want to ask you, what is that thing in your life that you're waiting on for God to show up and question, and you're questioning the quickness of your Savior's arrival? Is it the healing of a sickness? Is it the healing of a marriage? Is it the healing of a broken relationship? Is it the unknown of the future? Could it possibly be that he is not only working for your good, but also for his glory? That more people may come to believe or that someone else's faith might grow because of your circumstance? Yourself included? I believe that. You see, God used my circumstance to grow my belief and thus to draw me closer to him. And I did not even think that that was possible. And I believe that he can use your circumstance too. And maybe this looks like, guys, I'm talking to myself as well. Please know this. But maybe this looks something like our prayers about our circumstances changing. Praying for prayers like, hey, God, would you take this circumstance? I am asking that you would see and that you would get the maximum amount of glory out of my circumstance. Lord, if I have to wait two days, two years, or 10 years, I will wait if it means that you are going to receive more glory. What if we all had faith like that? Whoa. I think Jesus might come. Maybe. So I believe that this miracle was not, was about the many and not about the few that they would believe, and that Jesus would be glorified through it. So we're going to move into our final miracle today. If you guys will turn with me to John 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, Eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each one of us to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that, they intended to make him king by force, withdrew to the mountain to be by himself. And I love that Jesus withdrew himself to the mountain because he knew that his work was kingdom work and not worldly king's work. So moving on, the disciples um, decide to head out and cross the lake, head over to Capernaum. And there was a big storm, and Jesus saw, saw them, and he came down, and he walked on water, and he got in the boat, and as soon as he got in the boat, the boat immediately came to shore. So we're going to pick up in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that the only one boat, that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is my favorite part of the story because they get in their boats and they go and they search for Jesus. Why? Because they wanted more of him. He fed their souls and he was drawing them into himself. And they saw that it was good and they wanted more. Verse 26. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What do they want their fill of? Jesus. Jesus is the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus was the miracle. Moving down to verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the miracle. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the son of God. Believe in me. Believe in me. Verse 40 says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You see, Jesus is the miracle. They were drawn to him because he's the miracle, because he is the bread, because he is the way, because he is the truth and the light. He 
always was the miracle. He always will be the miracle. Always. Do you believe that? I'm going to tell you guys a quick story before we wrap up. When we were at our teaching team meeting and this series Believe came across the whiteboard, I wasn't actually at the teaching team meeting in person. I was videoed in because I was in Texas. Um, you see, my stepdad had just passed away. And where most people would have been mourning in a circumstance like this, I was rejoicing. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm going to tell you why. See, my stepdad, he was a good man. But he didn't, anytime we ever brought Jesus' name up or God or anything, he would always just turn it down. He would always say something that was nasty, always. So we kind of just stopped talking about it in front of him because we knew it, that he would make some comment that would try, he would try to make us look stupid, and we would shake it off, but we eventually just stopped trying. And then he got sick with cancer. And when I was there, he had lost a three-year battle to stage four lung cancer. And it wasn't tough for me. Because you see, a little over a year and a half before that, Andrew and I had been there for Christmas. And we were getting ready to get in the car to go home. And I felt the Lord say, now is your time. You need to tell him who I am. So I told Andrew and we went and we sat down on the couch with him. And we started to tell him about Jesus. We started to talk to him about how Jesus was working in our lives and how Jesus had pulled me out of the dark place that I was, that he had actually seen me walk through. And as we told him about Jesus and who he was, he wept like a child. He wept. So we went over and we laid our hands on him and we prayed over him. And he wept. And we told him what it looked like to receive Jesus into his heart. And we told him that if he did, he had to tell somebody. And we weren't expecting anything of him at that moment. So then we left. And about two weeks later, on Facebook, we saw this. It's going to be put up on the screen for you guys. For those of you that are not here and you're listening in on the podcast, it's a picture of a cross. My, fam my mom and my dad go to Colorado every year to ride. And at the top of the mountain, there is this wooden cross. It's man-made. It's beautiful. But he had made a post on Facebook, and this is what it said. I look at this every night, and I wish I could be at the bottom kneeling and talking to Jesus. I express myself from my bed, but being at the cross seems more powerful, and that is what I need right now. In the meantime, I will keep praying and hope for some good news in the next few weeks. That was his declaration. That was him admitting to the world that he believed. 
So when I was sitting there in that teaching team meeting and I saw the word believe pop up and I was on a believe high because what had just happened just two days before is that I was laying over his body on his bed because he his life, we did hospice at home. I laid over his body and I prayed over him as he took his last breath. And I experienced so much joy because I knew where he was going. I knew he was going home because he believed. For my father's will is that Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. Do you believe? Do you believe? Why don't you stand up? Let's just close our eyes and focus on that wonderful cross. Do you believe? Do you believe? Not the person to the left or the right of you. Do you believe? That's what Jesus is asking you in this moment right now. This moment could change your forever. This moment could be the the most important decision you've ever made. So we were created in the beginning to have a relationship with God. But because we chose something other than him, we we sinned, we fell short of his glory. There was only one answer to that solution. And like Christy said, God could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to come and rescue us. But he did. Jesus became the second Adam, came down to this dusty, tiny ball called earth, put on flesh and bones, God did that for you. He went to a cross, took a punishment that should have been yours. That should have been you on the cross. Hands pierced with nails for you. Feet driven into the the wooden stake for you. Spear through his side, agony for you. That was your punishment. That was my punishment, and he did it for you. To rescue you, to redeem you, to reconcile us back to the Father. And the greatest news is it's a free gift. He's giving that away, that reconciliation away for free so that he can take all your shame, all your guilt, all your sin. He he already took it all. You just need to believe. Do you believe? Romans 10 says, if you declare 
with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. You can be reconciled to the Father. So now I'm just asking you in this moment, it's just you and Jesus. You, you are at the cross. The cross is right here. And your heart can kneel at the cross right here, right now, just like Christie's stepfather did. You can make that same decision right now. You just say, Jesus, in your heart, you say, Jesus, I choose you. I turn to you. I want you. You take all the shame and the guilt and my sin. I release it to you. I leave it here at the cross. You already paid the punishment for me. And now I pick up grace and freedom and your presence. And in this moment, everything changes. If you believe in your heart, everything changes. You're a a new creature. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This is the most exciting moment of your life. And maybe you're making that decision for the first time, or maybe you've fallen away. You did believe once, but you need to come back to the cross. He's calling you back. He, he pursues you. He'll pursue you to your last breath. He's chasing after you. Because he loves you so much. He just wants you to turn. Repentance is just turning from walking your own way and going that 180 degrees and starting walking towards him. And then because now you have his presence, you're taking another step after him. And you want, just like those people were chasing after Jesus in the boat, you want more and more and more and more Jesus. Jesus, we believe. We believe. And now we're going to carry your presence out and tell the world, tell our neighbors, tell our families. Maybe just like Christie's story, they've rejected Jesus in the past. Don't stop. Don't stop. This could be the moment. This could be the day. I'm begging with you, return to God. Wherever your heart is right in this moment, maybe you're just believing in a partial Jesus, and you need to believe in the whole Jesus. Return to him right now. Your heart condition is so important. Believe in your heart. Jesus, we return to you today, wherever we find ourselves We feel your love and your grace that you're pouring over us right now, and we choose you. We choose one name, the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, let's declare that with our mouths. Just like Romans says, declare with your mouth, believe in your heart. Jesus, only you. Thank you so much for listening. Over the next seven weeks, we will be sharing with you our characteristics. Characteristics are simply values. Most people have values that they stand by. Many businesses have values and most churches also do. We have values too, we just call them characteristics. Characteristics are simply our DNA, the things that guide us. The reasons the leadership team makes the decisions that they do are often based on these characteristics. 
For seven weeks, we will add one new characteristic each week to our podcast so that you better understand who Church 214 is and what guides us. Thank you so much for listening. So my name is Taylor. I'm our kids director here. And thanks, Ed. <laughs> the past few weeks, we've been doing what we're calling our characteristics of our church and what that means and what that looks like. So today, one characteristic is authentic and what that means for us, what that means for our church. And honestly, this is kind of a picture of it. Authentic is just being real. And to me, there's nothing more real than Jesus. And we strive to be a church of authenticity because we serve the most authentic person on this planet, and his name is Jesus. And when I think of Jesus, I just think that he didn't come for a show. He was perfect, but we know that we're not perfect. And I was also thinking this week of, man, God could have stayed in heaven. He could have stayed in there for eternity in the world would have been fine, would have been great, but instead he chose to send his son to be someone who is real for us. He is the real form of Jesus coming to this earth, and nothing is more authentic than that. So as I was reading this week, I read in Ephesians 5, and it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear, dear children, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So I just thought, okay, what does this mean for our church? And we want to be people with true and genuine worship. We're not here for a show, and I think it's safe to say everyone up here is awesome, and it's so real, and you can feel that. And one of my favorite things that we do as a church is we invite our kids in with us. And I want to share with you guys what worship has looked like back there in kids lately. We started doing worship um, a few weeks ago in there. And it started with kids not moving, not clapping, not raising their hands. And that's not to be negative, but they just weren't there yet. And now look at this. You can see one kid on the floor on his knees just praising Jesus. You can see, I mean, there's countless kids in that picture raising their hands and truly worshiping the Lord. And I think that is real. That is true, authentic worship. And I just want to be a church that shows up. We show up for our city. We show up for our church. We show up for people. And we don't care. And I've been thinking about this the past few weeks, not having a kid, okay? I don't care if your hair is messy or you haven't showered in, like, a week. Okay, that's a little excessive. Please shower. Like, put some deodorant on. But it happens. Like, we don't care. I came this morning with no makeup on. Like, it happens. But we just want to see you here and showing up. And that is real life. And last week in kids, I preached on, we're in a series called Believe, and I was like, okay, why do we believe in God? How do we believe in God? How do we know that he's real? And to me, we know he's real by all of the things and the miracles that we can see around us. So I came up with a list. And here's a few things that have happened in our church that we know that God is real and he's authentic. First one is he gave us a building right away, right when we needed it, and way under budget. Like, hello, are you kidding me? And look at where we're at now. We prayed for drummers one day in our leadership meeting, and a week later had like 100. It was awesome. Okay? It was great. But that's, that's a miracle. That's Jesus. We've seen marriages restored. 
We have seen, I've seen a man's back be healed after he was hurting and broken for so long. I've seen a little kid give up his money, all of his money that he had saved for, I think it was over a year, to a homeless man. That's huge. I've seen kids go from standing with their arms down to true and genuine worship. I've seen people step up in their callings. I've seen way too many pregnant women. Okay, that alone, there's something in the water in this church because it's insane. But we're building the next generation. I've seen healings, tons of them. And one of them was us. One of them was me. And she's here, and I love it. And the thing is, it's not just, yes, God did a work in me, but he's taught me what true and genuine and authentic truly means. And I think that our goal is to just point everyone towards Jesus and to be real and to know that we are not perfect. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning, God, that we can come here and that we can talk about authenticity, Lord. And we know that you sent your son to be the most authentic and real person, Jesus. And I pray that we can follow your example, God, that we can come here and not be perfect and not be here for a show, but be here just for you, God, that we can show up and we can show up in people's homes, that we can show up for our city. We can show up and just to pray for people, Lord. We've seen it time and time again, God, and we just ask for true authenticity, not just um, for us leaders, but for everyone in the church, God. We're so thankful. Pray this in your name. Amen.